1: Welcome to Closing Bell Overtime. I'm John Ford with Morgan Brennan.
2: It is the busiest day of earnings season and we will be juggling results this hour from Amazon and Intel in sharp focus as the tech sell-off accelerates. Plus Ford, following news of a tentative labor deal along with defense contractor l3 harris and consumer bellwether chipotle
1: we'll also have instant reaction and analysis and interviews with chipotle ceo brian nickel and l3 harris ceo chris kubasik before they talk to analysts on their earnings calls and as we await this wave of earnings this afternoon let's bring in bespoke investment group co-founder paul Hickey. Paul, uh, you were with us two weeks ago, and you pointed out that the best S&P 500 performance during earnings season comes when the net revision spread was negative heading into earnings season. Negative sentiment, as it was this quarter, but we closed at 43.27 on the S&P 500 that day. I mean, today on the S&P, we're around 41. Uh, I want to note Amazon is out. We're going through it. 41.37. Do you still think? There, there's hope for a turnaround here in the next week or two? Or are you throwing in the towel
3: based on these revenues? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's been the, one of the worst earnings seasons we can imagine. Uh, you know, it's been very poor reactions, but I think a lot of it – the results haven't been great. I'll give you that. They've been uh, guidance has been weak, but I mean, earnings have almost been a sideshow the last few weeks when you have interest rates and the geopolitical uncertainties. You had before the uh, Middle East flare-up uh, about two weeks ago. The S and P was actually up on the month, and then we've been, you know, we've been trading lower uh, as we've seen increased uncertainty there, interest rates rising, and earnings not being the greatest. So um, I think earnings haven't helped, but um, they aren't the only factor at play here. All
2: right. All right. Uh, Mike Santoli joins us here on set as well as we do go through these Amazon results. Do you want to get your take on the fact that Nasdaq composite and correction territory? The S&P 500 didn't. And I'm already going to Dear Jabosa now for those Amazon results. Dee, what do
4: you have for us? I'll be quick, Morgan. Let me give you the top and bottom lines, which are a beat, a massive beat in terms of earnings per share. 94 cents versus 58 cents expected. On the revenue side as well, $143.1 billion versus $141.4 billion. Amazon shares are only up 2.6%. So let me keep diving into these numbers. We're going to want to look for AWS as well as that guidance. And I'll come right back. All right.
2: Dear Bosa, thank you. Mike Santoli, I will go right back to you. AWS is really going to be the key here, but also uh, online stores and and what we see in terms of the e-commerce side of things and ad revenue continuing to hold up. In the meantime, ahead of this, we saw mega cap tech smacked around again today.
5: Yes, uh, just a little bit of an excess of, of, I wouldn't say complacency, but belief that these companies could remain impervious to the macro and the rate story. Uh, So a sell the news response. This market has been really unwilling to extrapolate strength today into continued strength in the outlook, whether that's for the macro economy or it's for individual earnings right now. So any kind of whisper that the growth path is wavering and they get hit hard. So I think that's the environment into which a lot of these companies are reporting. The Amazon number, even on the top line, is pretty good. You know, on June 30th, when this quarter started, it was under 138, 138 billion for sales. Uh, Now they come in at 143. So, you know, it shows a little bit of momentum there. We'll see if they get rewarded because maybe this. Okay, now you got it at five percent, but before that, you have to believe people are going to be hesitant because we remember Meta reacts to the upside on the reflex and then it sold off the next day.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, waiting to hear D's perspective on AWS. It does look like revenue-wise it came in, in in line at 23.1 billion, but operating income-wise better than expected. And so I wonder Paul, you're still with us, what's what's your take on the importance of the cloud results because we got strong cloud results for the market overall. We got strong cloud results from Microsoft, and it doesn't seem to have helped much this week.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that it's a very big part of Amazon's business. So you want to see that strength, especially since they discussed that in their last earnings conference call. They were talking about seeing pickup in that. So if you saw a reversal there, I haven't been able to read the report. That would be concerning. On the retail side, though, they've also talked about how their margins last quarter had been improving for five straight quarters. Uh, You know, So as those margins improve, that's a big tailwind for the business. And when you come into the, uh, the last month, we've seen gas prices and energy prices declining. Uh, that's positive for the consumer, helps to offset some of the uncertainty with student loans. So I think in that respect, uh, you want to follow the retail business just as much as the cloud here.
2: Okay. We're going to go back to Dee, who has more, uh, more detail on the Amazon
4: results. Yeah, so you might call these results a little more mixed. You can tell the market is trying to digest them as well. But on that cloud front, that all important AWS number, it is a slight miss here. 23.2 billion was expected. It came No, I'm yes, 20 20- $3.2 billion was expected. It came in at $23.1 billion. That is a year-over-year increase of 12%. Last quarter's year-over-year increase was 12% as well. So we can't really say right now that this is a bottom. We're going to ask, of course, um, the executives to see if they can say that, but that's going to be really critical. In terms of the guidance as well, remember, we're going into this all-important holiday season. Revenue guide is looking a little bit short. Um, one sixty-six point six two billion was expected. They're guiding between one sixty 160 and one sixty-seven billion, so that mid-range is lower than what the street was expecting. Operating income between seven and eleven billion dollars. The street was looking for eight point five billion dollars. Shares are up four um, percent. So not a hugely strong beat, but again, we'll continue to digest the rest of the numbers. Okay, dear Trabosa, thank
2: you. We've got another earnings mover, Ford. Those results are out. Philebo has the numbers. Phil.
6: Morgan, this is Ford posting a number that is coming in shy of expectations, earning 39 cents a share in the third quarter. The street was expecting 45 cents a share. Revenues basically in line with expectations at forty-one point eight point one eight billion. The street was expecting 41.22 billion. Free cash flow of 1.2 billion. That's down quite a bit compared to the third quarter of last year when free cash flow was 3.6 billion dollars. And then each of the divisions, we like to look at this cuz it's a good snapshot of of how Ford wants to position itself for the future. The internal combustion engine vehicle business, the F-150, the SUVs, the most profitable part of the business, it posted a profit of 1.71 billion in the third quarter. The commercial vehicle division, that's posting a profit of 1.65 billion. And then there is the EV business, what they call a Ford Model E. It posted a loss of $1.3 billion. So there you see the split. Two-thirds of the business making money. They're still losing money when it comes to electric vehicles. Ending the quarter with $51 billion in liquidity, and they are withdrawing their guidance pending the UAW contract offer ratification vote. Guys, the call starts next hour. Be interesting to see what Jim Farley has to say about the cost complex for Ford now if they get this deal ratified with the UAW.
1: All right, uh, Phil, thank you Uh Mike, we can talk about Ford, but I want to go back to Amazon for yeah. a moment because, I mean, yeah, AWS uh, was maybe a little off of expectations. I don't know if we want to quibble, 23.1, 23.2. Right. But the operating income for AWS was expected to be around $5.6 billion. It came in at $7 billion. Yeah. That's a pretty significant profit beat yeah. on the most profitable part of Amazon. Also looking further down on advertising services. That beat at 12 billion versus 11 and a half billion expected. So might that be why the stock is higher after? It's out.
5: a pretty good mix. Uh, if those are where the outperformance is happening, I agree with that. Also, it's a 1.2 trillion dollar company, a hundred million dollar shortfall mm. on the on the AWS revenues. You'd you wouldn't really think that's a make or break with the stock already down 18. percent I always pointed this though when it comes to Amazon guidance. I mean, the guide for operating income in the in the quarter seven to 11 billion. We're a third of the way through the quarter. Right. So in other words, they always manage the company to just like meet demand. We're, we're, we're hustling. You know, we're, we're just going to do everything we can do and we'll see what falls out to the bottom line. And so, you know, I think it's a decent number given the setup. It's just a matter of whether this market wants to hear it.
2: Yeah. And, and Paul Hickey, I mean, they they do highlight A.I. and some of their A.I. products and services. And you have Andy Jassy in the release saying they had the strong third quarter as as our cost to serve and speed of delivery in our stores business took another step forward. They say the AWS growth continued to stabilize and that advertising revenue grew robustly and overall operating income and free cash flow rose significantly. Um, Your reaction to what we're hearing so far from this result, from this mega cap tech name, in a week that we know for which the bar has been so high for others that have reported?
3: Well, yeah, so the bar was high coming into the week. I think it's uh, gotten a little bit lower as we've seen the last three days. Mm. Uh, so, Amazon, you know, the guidance, you were just talking about the guidance, seven to 11 billion. I mean, what are we supposed to even think of that? Seven to 11 billion. You can drive like three trucks through that. So, I mean, I, I, it's hard to look at that. I think the, re, the pickup and improvement in, in the retail is a positive. What you've seen, you saw in prior quarters, that has been a, a drag on margins and that is starting to improve it, it sounds like, from what you're discussing. The the cloud, I, you would have expected AWS maybe to be a little bit stronger based on their commentary last quarter. So that's something that you know, I would like to uh, hear more about um, as they go into the conference call.
1: Indeed. We'll listen out for that. Mike, uh, I wonder about after-hours reversals. Meta looked so strong all first hour long before the conference call. And then, I mean, yeah, before the conference call. Then during, I'm not sure what happened, but it it ended up lower after hours and then trading pretty rough all day. I mean, how much do we have to worry about that kind of effect, even with names like Amazon?
5: We have to worry because the market's hypersensitive to any sense that the next – several months, doesn't have as much visibility as the market would like. When you have these stocks that have outperformed by these massive margins up until this point, it means everybody granted them the credit in advance for making these numbers and being on a growth path that was going to be a little more predictable than the rest of the market. So to me, it's that adjustment in expectations versus reality, a little bit of a crowding effect in there as well. But. Amazon's down quite a bit since before Microsoft and, and, and Alphabet reported, right? So you would have thought that, again, uh, the bar might have been lowered.
2: All right. Well, we've got another earnings mover to tell you about. That's L3 Harris, uh, the defense prime contractor. Those earnings are out. It looks like a beat on the top and bottom lines. Uh, earnings coming in at $3.19 adjusted per share. That was better than the $3.03 that the street had been expecting. Revenues also beating $4.92 billion versus the $4.76 billion that had been expected. Total uh, strong backlog growth. 49% growth in that to $32 billion. Continued demand in strategic national security-focused acquisitions providing longer-term visibility. That's according to the letter from the CEO, Chris Kibasek. Uh You're seeing book-to-bill 1.17 times. Uh, 16% increase in top line. That's, that's what that revenue number represents year-on-year year as well. Uh, I'll note shares are up about half a percent right now. We have the CEO, Chris Kebasic coming on exclusively to break down these results and more uh, before he speaks with analysts on the conference call tomorrow morning. So that's coming up just a little bit later in the hour. But to shift gears here again, Paul Hickey, um, whether it is Ford, whether it's Amazon, whether it's L3 Harris, whether it's some of the names and results we got this morning, I think about some of these big industrial bellwethers that touch so many different end markets uh, across so many different parts of the globe, like a UPS or a Honeywell this morning. Do we have a clearer picture yet, to your point, on where economic growth is headed right now, especially when you hear about macroeconomic uncertainty from so many of these names?
3: I mean, it's a very interesting environment right now. You look at today, we saw you know this extremely strong GDP print and at the same time,
1: well, we I saw interrupt you for a moment. I'm sorry, Chipotle earnings are out. Kate Rogers has those numbers, Kate.
7: Hey there, John. So for the third quarter, Chipotle EPS coming in at $11.36 adjusted. That's a beat compared to the 10.55 estimated by the street. Revenues right in line for the quarter, $2.47 billion. Same store sales, a beat up 5% uh, compared to the 4.6 estimated by street count. This was due to traffic being up and higher transactions fueling its sales growth. Now, in terms of guidance, fourth quarter and full year comps being guided here in the mid to high single digit range. This compared to the up 5.3 percent estimated uh, for the fourth quarter alone there and between 255 and 285 new openings. Once again, the stock is up about 30 percent year to date. It's up more than 5 percent right now. And CEO Brian Nickel is going to be coming up uh, shortly to discuss the quarter with us. So much more to come back over to you.
2: Okay, Kate Rogers. Thank you. Uh we're just shifting gears here. It's like a ball that's in the air and not falling to the ground anytime soon. So let's talk a little bit more about Amazon's results with CFRA analyst Arun Sundaram. He has a buy rating and $183 price target on the stock. Arun, your response to the results we've gotten so far, especially that AWS number, the revenue number that represents 12% growth in line with what we saw the previous quarter and talk of stabilization there.
8: Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, no, I think that AWS growth number of 12% might be viewed as a little bit of a disappointment. Uh, We wanted to see that acceleration, the same kind of acceleration that Microsoft got, but we got pretty much flat growth compared to to Q2. Uh, But the offset of that was that AWS operating income was about $7 billion uh, this quarter. It's actually the highest in Amazon's history. Uh, And AWS operating margins were 30.3%. That's actually a 600 basis point sequential improvement from Q2. So although we didn't get that top line growth number, if we got 13 percent AWS growth, the stock would probably be up a lot more. But I think uh, I think investors will be happy to see that that AWS margin of, of 30.3 uh, percent. That, that was a big positive.
1: Is is AWS the type of business where they could have chosen uh, revenue or operating income and they just chose operating income? Or is it not that way? How should investors think about the kind of levers they can pull there?
8: No, I, I don't. I don't think it's. I don't think it's that way. You know, I think for for the top line number, you know, the one big headwind is you know customers are continuing to to, to cut costs, optimize costs. That's been a theme we've been hearing throughout big tech. Uh, you know, we heard that with Google, um, but the fact that you know we still saw 12% growth, I think that's will be viewed as a slight positive. Uh, it it didn't decelerate, uh, so that that is good news. We didn't get that low single or high single digit growth that uh, some people were really really worried about. Um, But we are seeing, you know, uh, uh, new AI workloads. And I think that's what's kind of boosting this this top line right now. You know, customers are starting to move away from cost optimization a little bit and starting to think about new AI workloads. And that's starting to have an impact on on the top line. And I think that's gonna be a a catalyst for 2024 as well. Um, And then on the bottom line, yeah, we're starting to see more efficiencies um, being, being rolled in not just the retail business, but now also in the AWS business. Uh, so it's a good combination to see, you know, improving efficiencies in retail, improving efficiencies in AWS. I think that sets the stock up well in 2024, especially considering if we continue growing uh, op- operating profits, which operating profits this quarter was uh, $11.2 billion, uh, much higher than the expectation of, of $7.7 billion. Hmm.
1: All right. Arun, thanks. Arun Sundaram. Meanwhile, Intel earnings are out. That stock is popping, I think, about 7% after hours. Christina Parks and Edwards. How's the numbers. Christina?
9: Yeah, that's because it's been a strong beat for EPS revenues, Q4 guidance. That's why we're seeing uh, the strength in the stock right now. EPS coming in at 41 cents, much stronger than the streets anticipated, 22 cents on revenue of 14.16 billion for Q4. Even their range is much higher than what was anticipated. A Q4 revenue range of 14.6 to 15.6 billion. Street was anticipating only 14.3. Gross margins, that was an important number to look at, too, because they had been declining for so, long last quarter was 39.8 this quarter 45.8 percent much higher than estimates at 43 we're seeing strength in client computing a little weakness in data center revenue which we expected given uh you know the shift towards gpus but the company saying and i know you're reading it too john while i'm going through this but the company's saying that they delivered a standout third quarter uh, thanks to their process and product roadmaps and new foundry customers and they reiterate they'll hit five nodes in four years Strength, 7% in the stock.
1: That is an important uh, benchmark on the turnaround attempt they're going through, Christina. Absolutely. Thank you for that, Christina Parts and Speaking of which, uh, I'll be speaking with Intel CEO Pat Gelsinger after the earnings call today. You can catch some of what he says. First on CNBC tonight, 7 p.m. on Last Call. We'll have more of that interview throughout the day tomorrow on CNBC. Uh, Paul, uh, it was really client computing here for Intel. It was a standout. Uh, 7.3 billion in revenue expected. 7.9 turned in here. Data center and AI, as Christina mentioned, was a little soft, but the uh, networking group also came in a bit stronger than expected. But boy, the, the guidance on gross margin as well here to 46.5 non-GAAP uh, in Q4. I mean. I can't believe we're talking about wow with forty-six point five in Intel and we should be talking in the sixties. But based on where they've been, that's significant, no?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I remember a day back when Intel was the most important report in earnings season, and it's come, you know, things have come a long way since then. I, uh, you want to I mean, sentiment has become so bad towards the stock. Uh, you know, their business has been in the tubes. So the fact that we're seeing this encouraging commentary. Last week we had Taiwan Semiconductor talk about a pickup in the PC and smartphone chips business. Uh, you know that's where Intel is heavily involved, so uh, that's sort of a, a hint at some strength. But um, you know, hey, we'll take any strength these days in, in stocks where we can get it. So uh, you know, when you see Chipotle, Intel, and um, and uh, Amazon trading up on earnings, uh, you know, as, as we'll take it.
2: Yeah. Uh, Intel higher right now, 6.5%. Amazon, 3.5%. L3 Harris, 1%. Chipotle's higher. Paul Hickey, thanks for being with us. Mike, we're going to see you a little bit later in the show. Don't go too far. Chipotle shares, as I just mentioned, are up in after hours after an earnings beat just moments ago, about 5%. Let's get to our Kate Rogers along with Chipotle CEO Brian Nickel. Kate. Morgan, thanks so much.
7: And hi, Brian. Thanks for being with us.
10: Yeah. Hey, Kate. Good to be with you.
7: So let's start here. What is the consumer telling you right now? Are you seeing any signs of resistance uh, to the pricing or the brand?
10: Yeah, look, uh, you know, we're really excited about our quarterly results. Uh, You know, the growth was driven by transaction growth. uh, And I think that's just a, you know, outcome of having a great value proposition. And what we're seeing is every income cohort, whether it's low, medium or high, uh, continues to really uh, show an affinity for Chipotle. And you know, we're really excited about the momentum that we have in the business. And we're going to continue to push against what makes Chipotle special, which is great culinary, great customization, you know, terrific speed. And uh, all that combined results in just a tremendous value proposition.
7: And Brian, you've talked with us before about pricing levers, the ability to kind of adjust pricing as needed. The company just took price in the last month. Is that going to be it to end the year?
10: Yeah, we don't foresee taking any more pricing this year and you know i think the thing that's important is in the last quarter the one we're just reporting we really didn't take price Th- this growth was driven by transactions and great operational execution and you know i'm delighted to see that we're seeing consumers respond to you know what i mentioned earlier the great culinary the great speed uh and obviously we took some price uh, frankly the last two weeks uh in october and uh, you know that was really to offset some labor inflation and some minor food inflation, but we feel really good about where we're positioned and uh, we're optimistic about where we go from here.
2: Brian, it's Morgan, it's great to have you back on the show. I'm gonna ask you a question that many of our CEOs in the food and beverage business as well as in med tech business have been getting asked uh, over the past couple of weeks. And that is your take on these GLP-1 drugs, these weight loss drugs, have you seen any kind of impact? How are you thinking about that from a business perspective, if you
10: are, yeah, sure. Um, so, thanks for the question. Good to see you, Morgan. The uh, you know these GLP one drugs we're really not seeing any impact in our business, and the more we study it and understand it, frankly, I think this is another place where we're positioned really well. You know, our food is clean, highly customizable. So, if you do decide to go on these GLP one drugs, you can get exactly how what you want to eat. You know, uh, as evidenced by. Over some of our lifestyle goals, right? Remember when everybody was talking about keto, uh, low carb, the caveman diet? I mean, pretty much all these things you can create exactly what you want. And then behind all of it, it is really rooted in this idea of clean food, food with integrity. So uh, we're not seeing any impact from it today. But as we look out into the future, we think we're well positioned, even for those that do decide to use the drug for weight loss. Hey,
1: Brian, it's John Fort. Uh, I'm curious about this aces in places strategy that you've been pushing, making sure that you've got the employees in the store really working down that line and being efficient uh, at key times. You mentioned labor costs. How is the tightness in the labor market and and the turnover that you're seeing or not seeing in the workforce uh, impacting your ability to really keep those aces in places and be as efficient as you want to be?
10: Yeah, well, uh, look, I, I, you know, I, we might need to put you on the line with that knowledge. Uh, but yeah, look, ACE is in place is a critical piece of the puzzle for us to c- execute our throughput. Our turnover right now with our managers is at the lowest level it's been in years, which is really important because that delivers stability for the team, both the leader and the broader team. And, you know, we're seeing really good abilities to hire. And we're seeing with our growth and our story of growth for people, both personally and professionally, is resulting in better retention. So uh, we're in the best labor position we've been in in a while. And really what we're focused on now is ensuring people understand how best to execute the operating model. I was just with all of our team directors. Uh, We brought in everybody to talk about this exact thing. like How do we perform on great throughput against Chipotle's standard of excellent food with great people served really fast? We do those things right. We'll get our aces in places and we'll delight our customers every single time.
7: And Brian, one question to kind of follow up on that. I know the company's been testing out some things to improve throughput in the restaurants, the avocado, of course. Of course, we talked about the double-sided grills. Um, Chip, you we've had on the air several times. How is that going? How are workers kind of responding to that automation? Are they liking it? Do they think it works well? Is it speeding things up?
10: Yeah, look, uh, so we're very much in our stage gate process of all these things, right? So the dual-sided grill to the autocado. Um, the thing that our team members are telling us when we put it into our test stores is they love the automation. Uh, we call it cobotics because it really works with them to execute, whether it's morning prep, like the avocado, right? Cutting, coring, scooping avocados. This is one of the things that our team members told us, hey, that's a task. If we could figure out how to automate, we would actually be better at hand mashing the guac and making sure that we have guacamole on the line all the time. Uh, but all these things are early stages. Um, you know, the dual-sided grill, we have that where we're testing it at about 10 restaurants. Uh, Chippy, we're doing some additional work on how you clean that better. The AutoCADO, uh, frankly, that's off to a really good start, but again, very much in the prototype phase, same with Hyphen. And we're going to take our time on this because we want to make sure that it delivers on the food experience, the people experience, and then obviously the customer experience. And then we've got to make sure we get a good return on this investment. So it's in our stage gate process, optimistic about what Cobotics can do for our company.
2: All right, Brian Nickel, thank you. And our thanks to Kate Rogers as well. Man and machine in the kitchen. (laughs) Stocks up five percent, Chipotle. solar company and phase energy is sinking on earnings though. Pippa Stevens has those numbers. Hi Pippa. Hey Morgan, yeah, this stock is dropping here in extended trading after posting a mixed quarter. So EPS did beat with the company earning $1.02 per share on an adjusted basis. That was one penny above estimates. But revenue did miss expectations at $551 million versus $566 million. But it really is this really disappointing guidance that's what's sending the stock 14% lower here. They say revenue in Q4 between $300 million and $350 million. That is well short of the $584 million that Wall Street was expecting. Now, during the third quarter, they said that their revenue was down 16% in the U.S. and 34% in Europe, down 34% quarter over quarter, thanks to weakness in key markets and the buildup of inventory. Of course, this does mirror what we've heard from SolarEdge, who last week announced that they were going to see a very disappointing results thanks to a slowdown in Europe. Once again, the stock down 14%. John?
1: Yeah. Uh, Pippa, thank you. That's rough. Up next, we're going to dive deeper into Intel's strong results. It's up about 6.5%. The growing competition the company's facing from the lights of NVIDIA and Qualcomm when we're joined by a longtime tech industry insider, analyst Patrick Moorhead. We'll be right back.
0: Yahoo Finance.com, the number one financial destination. Yahoo Finance.com, that's Yahoo Finance.com.
2: Welcome back to Overtime. If you're just joining us, it's already been a very busy overtime session. Amazon turning in a very strong quarter, EPS with a big beat, revenues beating as well. Ford missed on both lines and withdrew full year guidance amid the pending UAW deal vote. Intel nearly doubling EPS estimates, beating on revenues as well. Ford is lower, but Intel and Amazon are both higher right now in trading.
1: Yeah, and and let's talk more about Intel, up a little better than 6%. Uh, More insights and strategies. CEO Patrick Moorhead joins us. Pat, um, the stock after hours now, yes, it's up 6%. It's regained most of what it lost this week at this point. But, I mean... What does this moment mean? The words in the release strong operating leverage are not words that we're used to hearing from Intel over the past couple of years. So is this potentially a pivot moment? Do we need to hear more? We know that they've got this AI chip event coming up in New York in just a couple of weeks.
11: Yeah, so I look at this uh, on a string of quarters and quite frankly, the company didn't have a lot of financial credibility with the street. So in, in some ways, regardless of what they said, uh, they might not get the reaction that they would have wanted. So Intel, a few quarters back, went into a very conservative mode, uh, which I agree with, which which is uh, under, uh, under commit and over deliver. And that's what I think we're seeing here uh, last quarter, their guide for this quarter was, was quite conservative. And I think what you're seeing is a melding of everything falling into line. I'm a big uh, five nodes in, in four years type of guy. It's the first line item I look at. And it continues that they're on that beat. Hidden in Pat Gelsinger's quote, uh, it looks like that IFS, their foundry company, has yet another customer. And I think that that is one of the biggest announcements here. Uh, We'll probably never hear about the name of the customer, but IFS has to succeed as a foundry for them to have a decent cost base to be able to compete with TSMC and subsequently NVIDIA and also AMD.
2: Patrick, what do you think of Client Computing Group? $7.9 billion for Q3. It was down 3%. That was better than the street had been expecting. We've been looking for this rebound in the PC market. Are we getting it?
11: I think we are. I mean, I think we had a trough last quarter, and we're going into growth mode. Now, Q2 is not exactly a blow-the-door-off off quarter, and it's uh, Q3 is always higher, and Q4 is always higher than Q3, but it's a really good start. And as I do my channel checks across the PC OEMs like Dell, HPE, and Surface, and folks like that, uh, they are at bare minimum uh, inventory levels. And I think we're ready to rock and roll and get back to not the uh, pandemic days, okay, where it was crazy 20% growth, but uh, we are hitting volumes in the marketplace of, of pre-pandemic. And that is positive, particularly after the inventory bleed off.
1: Pat, from, from your background, I see some nice pillows there. I'm guessing you're still in Mali. <laughs> At, at Qualcomm <laughs> Snapdragon event, uh, we, we had Cristiano on overtime, yeah. uh, and I watched the presentation. They made some bold claims about the kind of performance for Windows PCs that they're going to be able to achieve. How concerned should Intel investors be, and hey, even AMD investors, because they called out Ryzen, about what Qualcomm is going to bring to market next year?
11: So John, as an industry analyst, I need to be very careful and precise uh, on on this answer. Uh, I looked at the numbers, I scrutinized them, and they look very legitimate. Uh, Now, what we're comparing are markets that are, uh, sorry, products that are in market from Apple, uh, Intel, and AMD, we haven't seen the marks and the benchmarks from their next generation. But one area, John, that I think Qualcomm will have an advantage on for a while Uh, is performance per watt on the CPU, and they've put this gigantic generative AI accelerator in there for Windows, that I think caught everybody else a little bit flat-footed. So uh, I always like to say that uh, it takes three major players in any market uh, to legitimize and have a healthy market. I do believe from what I've seen so far is that Qualcomm could be the third player in the PC processor and SOC market.
1: See if we get a fourth from NVIDIA as well. I'm sure Pat Gelsinger would be fine. He would have been fine with two. Uh, But Pat, thanks thanks for joining us. Thanks. Well, speaking of Intel, again, cue the QR code because it's time for the latest installment of my On the Other Hand newsletter. This week's debate is Will new rivals with ARM based chip designs bury Intel's turnaround hopes? Takes on a whole new flavor after that earnings report. You can sign up using hmm. that QR code or just go to CNBC.com slash OTOH, Morgan.
2: Incredibly timely, for usual.
12: <laughs> well, it's time now for a CNBC News update with Bertha Coombs. Bertha. Hey, Morgan, two law enforcement officials tell NBC News that the suspect in last night's massacre in Lewiston, Maine, received mental health treatment over the summer. Robert Card's military unit sent him to a hospital at West Point after reports that he was behaving erratically. Card's sister-in-law told NBC News Today that the suspect began hearing voices saying, quote, horrible things about him a couple of months ago when he was fitted for high-powered hearing aids we a federal judge ruled that Georgia's redrawn congressional maps violate the Voting Rights Act. The judge gave lawmakers until early December to submit a new map. If the state is unable to satisfy requirements, the judge said the court will draw plans. The maps were approved in 2021, but faced lawsuits accusing the state of diminishing the voting power of minorities. And the new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, met with President Biden at the White House today. Johnson was briefed on the administration's request for additional funding for national security efforts in Ukraine, Israel, and along the U.S. southern border. This was Johnson's first visit to the White House as the new speaker. Back over to you.
2: All right, Bertha Coombs, thank you. After the break, Mike Santoli tackles today's hot GDP print. And one under-the-radar component that could be signaling a more resilient economy than many expect.
1: And we'll have much more on today's after-hours action, including an exclusive interview with the CEO of defense contractor L3 Harris before he talks to analysts on tomorrow's
13: earnings call.
2: Welcome back. The strength of the U.S. economy catching Wall Street off guard again with this morning's Q3 GDP release coming in above estimates. Let's get to Mike Santoli over at the market dashboard for more. Mike.
5: Yeah, Morgan, and this is a market that's been skeptical recently of the resilience of the U.S. economy. This chart here showing industrials and consumer discretionary equal weighted. Those are the top two lines against the traditional defensive areas, staples and utilities up until Late July, when the overall market peaked, this story was cyclicals beating defenses. It was a stronger-than-anticipated economy, and then rates started to ramp. We had this pullback in the equity markets, and you saw declines in the cyclical areas, but also in the rate-sensitive defenses. What's happened more recently, though? You see tentative bottoming in the defensive areas, even as we get accelerated downside in the economically sense. So at least the market's saying, look, we still think this is a vulnerable economy. Uh, if you believe otherwise, maybe the market's giving you an opportunity. Now, take a look at one major component of the GDP report today. Yep, the headline annualized 4.9% growth was great. This is Real final sale to domestic purchasers. It's kind of the underlying trend of actual demand in the economy without inventories and such. Now, of course, the pandemic destroyed all these maps that show trends. But this little uptick that we've seen uh, recently, reacceleration to the upside, is something that we did not typically see ahead of prior recessions, at least not very soon before prior recessions. So a little bit of hope that we have some time, uh, some leeway for this market to prove that it is not headed for a steep slowdown, Morgan.
2: Uh, this is fascinating to me, and it kind of reminds me of CSX Joe Henricks, the CEO there, and what he had to say about the reacceleration of, of some of the products that they move on the railroad uh, we spoke to him post-earnings last week. He talked about chemicals, for example, which yeah. have been hit hard all year and tend to be an economic bellwether uh, of where the economy is going. Does this, when you see a data point like this, does it raise the question of forget soft landing, but no landing?
5: It raises that question for sure. Um, I think you're seeing things like industrial production tick up too, even some of the purchasing managers' indexes that would seem to suggest that we have the capacity. now. Wall Street economists still saying fourth quarter is going to be weak. The consumer is getting fatigued It doesn't have as many resources to draw on. So we have to see how it plays out. Also have to see if the bond market is going to like the idea of a no landing if we start to see it and and have rates go up uh, even more, which, again, is kind of this self-undermining process, which would sap faith that the economy can handle It
1: is good news. Good news. Uh, It seems to vary from day to day, Mike. Thanks. And up next, the CEO of defense contractor L3 Harris discusses his company's earnings beat and how the wars in Ukraine and the Middle East are impacting the industry. We're going to be right back. Welcome back to Overtime. Let's get back to Deirdre Bosa for more on Amazon's results, D.
4: So, John, Wall Street was looking for AWS, for the team at Amazon, to say that growth has bottomed. It's been six quarters of decelerating growth, 12 percent this quarter. So I just got off the phone with the CFO, Brian Olsavsky, and I asked him that question. Can you say that AWS growth has hit a bottom? He said, and I'll quote him, I wouldn't characterize it that way. We're in a delicate position. He said that cost optimization remains a headwind. That optimization is starting to slow down. But he also said that there's still companies joining that effort. The takeaway here, though, is that they will not call a bottom. And that seems to have hit the stock, which was higher initially after the results, but dipped into the red. Now it's up about two tenths of one percent. OK, dear Jabosa, thank you. Aerospace and defense earnings in focus
2: amid the Israel-Hamas war. And- more fraught geopolitical landscape more broadly. That has pushed stocks like General Dynamics, RTX, and Lockheed Martin higher. Northrop Grumman reported a beat and raise today amid strong demand for weapons and deterrent systems. Northrop CFO Dave Kepper telling me, quote, we continue to be responsive to the needs and demands of our customers, be it the U.S. or allies, noting, quote, in the U.S., continued growth in the national security space arena, as well as in munitions and missile defense, to name a few. Now, that's been a consistent theme. Demand is soaring. Contractors are working through lingering supply chain challenges to keep pace. In focus now, though here in overtime, L3Harris, which just reported an earnings beat sales that grew 16% in Q3 and a backlog that jumped 49% to $32 billion. Joining us now exclusively on set, L3Harris, CEO and chair Chris Kubasik. Chris, it's great to have you back here.
14: Always good to be here. Thank you.
2: Uh, You also grew margins for the quarter. Walk me through where you're seeing the demand strength coming from right now and what that supply chain picture looks like as you do grow margins.
14: Yeah, let me, let me just uh, focus back on the quarter to start with. I, I have to start by recognizing the 50,000 uh, men and women at L3Harris. It's a resilient, hardworking uh, group that's focused on the mission. Today's results, I think, really highlight uh, their hard work. I mean, you mentioned the 16% top line growth, the beat on EPS, and cash. We have generated positive cash every quarter since the merger in 20, 2019. So margin expansion has been a big, key focus for me and the team. This is the second consecutive quarter that we've sequentially improved our margins. and I think you see the, uh, see the results on the, on the bottom line as a result of it. As far as demand, you know space has is, is been our, our hot market. We've been uh, growing double digit in space. Uh, The airborne, the maritime, and the uh, land uh, domains are also growing. And then we are one of the unique companies that have the ability to connect all the pieces. And I know how much you like acronyms through JADC2 and Joint All Domain Command and Control. So we seem to be well positioned, and that's what we're doing, is really trying to build a a portfolio that aligns with the needs in the growth markets.
2: What does that demand picture look like? I mean, we've seen stocks, including L3Harris, move higher given this war in Israel in the Middle East now. We continue to have this war in the Ukraine, continues to be focused on replenishment of stockpiles of munitions, missile, missiles, et cetera, here, here in the U.S. How does this continue to take shape? And just as importantly, what is your assessment of the geopolitical landscape right now?
14: Well, yeah, let me, let me start with the geopolitical landscape. I mean, clearly the terrorist attack in Israel is reprehensible, and any time there's a loss of innocent lives in a conflict is, is just tragic. And what we're seeing obviously in israel ukraine and even in the south china sea is currently in the last 24 to 48 hours there's been some some interactions there it's just a dangerous world plain and simple it's a dangerous world and we have to have the ability to build up our national uh, defense uh, capabilities through technology now in l3 harris's case we have a unique portfolio because we have products and programs or platforms if you will So the products are quick turn. That's one of the reasons we had the uh, hit from the supply chain earlier than most, Mm. whether it's radios, night vision goggles, cameras, sensors, we're in ability to turn some of those things really quick. In some cases, less than a week. So to the extent there's demand, which there was in Ukraine, especially for our radios, we're getting signals from Israel. We can provide capability into theater rather quickly while also working on the longer term uh, programs or platforms as well.
2: Now, when I, when I talk to some of your peers at other uh, defense primes, one of the things they say is that within the supply chain, while they're seeing improvement, one area where there's continued to be challenges is Rocket Motors. You did just close on the deal uh, during the last quarter, $4.7 billion deal for Aerojet Rocketdyne. How is that integration going? What is that, what is that company within your company going to look like moving forward?
14: Absolutely. No, we were uh, when you and I first met back in uh, December talking about it, I think I told you we would close this deal in about a year. We were able to close it in seven and a half months, so we're rather proud of that. On day one, we hit the ground running, uh, deployed L3Harris team to actually uh, run this business. Um, They're looking at everything with the single goal of improving or increasing deliveries and production. So whether it's the supply chain, the talent, the systems, the processes, and the choke point is, in fact, the supply chain. It's not at the rocket motor level, it's at the sub tiers. There are very few companies, in some cases only one, that can provide igniters, nozzles, cases. So the focus on fixing the overall munitions uh, portfolio is to get the money and get the investment to those sub-tier suppliers, Uh, There are several companies that now want to get in a rocket motor business, which I guess Mm -hmm. confirms to me that it's a growth market and a hot place to be. But uh, it's going to be a key part of our portfolio. And again, we take a portfolio approach. We divest companies that are not core to our national defense technology focus. And we buy companies to this year, to be specific, that align with that strategy.
2: All right. Of course, I'm sure operating off of a continuing resolution and question marks around... When we get to fiscal 2024, uh, it's going to be key when we talk about things like supply chain and the defense industrial base as well. Chris Kibasic, it's great to have you here. All
14: there right, thank you very much. On earnings day, too. Appreciate that. Sure.
1: Up next, all the after hours earnings movers that need to be on your radar as we count down to the conference calls. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Overtime. A couple more earnings movers to tell you about. Decker's is surging after a big bottom line beat. Uh, Revenues were above estimates as well. Full year guidance topped the street. Juniper Networks also higher after beating on both lines.
2: And Amazon is well off its post earnings pop after management's comments about AWS. An Amazon shareholder tells us what he wants to hear from executives from that earnings call, which kicks off next hour. Stay with us.
1: Let's get another check on Amazon. The stock initially jumped on an earnings beat, but Deirdre Bosa reporting she asked the CFO if AWS growth had bottomed. He said he wouldn't characterize it that way, saying, quote, we're in a delicate situation. There are a number of cross streams right now, unquote. Joining us is Majorna Venture Group Managing Director Matt McIlwain holds Amazon in his personal portfolio. Matt, get us ready for this call. And uh, what should investors really care about most when it comes to AWS, the operating profitability, which looked pretty good, or the revenue, which is just in line?
15: Well, let's take the biggest picture. This is a company that has now generated $72 billion in operating cash flow in the last 12 months. And their free cash flow went from negative 20 billion to positive 20 billion. So that's pretty darn impressive across the board. And they should focus on that, plus all the things they're doing internally with AI. When you bring it down to AWS, I think the real key there is can they prove that they're the most open player? They launched Bedrock this quarter. They've come out with a bunch of open partnerships, including with Anthropic, where they've committed to investing up to $4 billion. And can they capture the hearts and minds of both the developers? and the enterprise customers who are clearly embracing AI and be the most open and the best partner.
2: Yeah. I mean, the other piece of the puzzle for Amazon, right, is that they have this holiday season quarter. Sales guidance, a little bit disappointing versus what uh, the street had been expecting. Online stores revenue for the just completed quarter, only slightly better than street expectations. How much does that matter uh, here? To your point, as you do see stronger cash flows, you do see stronger operating income.
15: I think all those pieces matter because the past year was a lot about getting fit, and that's why you see the cash flow results. And as we turn the page into 2024 across all the different businesses, whether it's e-commerce, whether it's advertising and certainly AWS, we're going to be looking for real revenue growth. I think they're doing quite a number of things to apply AI internally, And I think that's going to continue to help them improve both efficiency and new offerings. They even are putting things into, for instance, you know, Thursday night, you know, uh, football, you know, with generative AI. But they've got to be able to work with others, especially in AWS, to show that they're the best partner around generative AI, generative AI applications. And that's going to be a big driver of long term growth.
2: Matt McElwain, thanks for joining us. Shares of Amazon up fractionally now, John, and some other big movers, of course, in the hour.
1: Yeah. uh, Intel still up more than fractionally at this point. The conference call starts in literally just a minute. Uh, We're going to be talking to Pat Gelsinger. We'll hear from him on overtime tomorrow about what's really behind this quarter and what's ahead.
2: We're looking forward to that. Also, key inflation reading PCE tomorrow. That's going to do it for us here at Overtime.
13: From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive.